before they can put anything together. Therefore, you always know when it's rushed through on any level, even the anti-terrorism bills after 9-11, with all the countries on board, as they call it, pirates like these terms, and then it was all worked out long before, probably even before the Cold War had started. Also look into Alan Watts Sentinel.eu for transcripts of these talks, which you can download, print up, and they're written in the various languages of Europe. And I hear the music coming, so I'll be back after these messages. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Before I go on to tonight's talk, remember that you can buy the books I have for sale on CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. That's my website. And you can also, that keeps me going, but you can also donate to me as well. Uh, Without the cash rolling in, I can't afford even to do what I'm doing here. Remember, I don't ask for money from any of the shows I'm on, or any of the advertisers. The advertisers pay for the shows. They pay for the station, broadcasting, and personnel, and so on. So it's up to you, if you like what you hear, if you think it's informative, to keep me uh, hopping along. That's all it is. A hop at a time. Now, I've gone on before about the techniques of predictive programming, and how it's just an art. It's a science. It's not difficult to understand, and how you basically familiarize people through fiction and through little, they call them trial balloons that they launch in the media as to how you'll receive something and accept something without thinking in any depth about it whatsoever. You take the status quo, that which is given to you by the media, as your opinion. But they also like to feed things into us, like a build-up before they hit us with something really new. Not that they really have to work hard at it today. In fact, they they don't work hard at it at all. They used to have to do a lot of uh, pre-feeds to people before they'd hit us with a new deal. But today, because everyone's so dumbed down into television land and they can't tell the difference between fact and fiction, most of them, they don't have to do much, so it's very primitive. In March the 11th or 12th, I read from The Australian concerning uh, an article put out by a Nobel Prize winner on economy, I guess. And it said, Kazakh President Nursultan, I think it said here, Nursultan Nazarbayev has won backing for his plan for a single world currency from an intellectual architect, as an architect, Mason, you see, of the euro currency, Nobel Prize winner Professor Robert Mundell. I guess that's Lord of the World. And it went on and on and on about uh, this great idea that was backed by the president of, of uh, Kazakhstan. That's how they introduced that to the world, basically. And then the same article appeared across the world in different newspapers, because everything today in the newspapers is pretty well a handout from the Department of Propaganda at the top. And it's just printed into the papers with some journalist's name attached to it. That's how they start off the predictive programming on a particular topic. And then that was followed up by an article from the BBC News, which said, 
that says China suggests switch from dollar. You see, so they got China to put this out to the world. And believe it or not, yep, the top guys in China are owned by the same bankers, and so is their whole industry, as the rest of the world. So they told China suggest this, and China suggests switching from from the dollar. Says China's central bank has called for a new global reserve currency run by the International Monetary Fund, the exact institution that Mr. Kissinger has been going around the world saying this has to be brought up to its proper place, International Monetary Fund, which is private. It's a private organization under the United Nations. You see? Now, here they're telling us that it's bad enough and corrupt enough when the same bankers that run the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank run your Federal Reserve System or the Bank of England or whatever central bank you run, they own it. They run it, you see. And we couldn't stop the corruption from them doing plundering us nationally in every country. So they want to make it more legal as you went to the global system for one world central bank, basically, to dish out the cash or the tokens or, or really the ration cards for the future. That's what it's boiling down to. So China did what they were told, and they suggested that the central bank uh, should uh, basically come into being to its full force and replace the U.S. dollar. Central Bank Governor Zhu Zhushan did not explicitly mention the dollar, but said the crisis showed the dangers of relying on one currency. Now, years ago, on this station and in other stations in the U.S. probably alone, some wise people were commented on the NAFTA negotiations, then the GATT negotiations, and it was all discussed then that eventually... You see, the U.S. dollar would decline. Uh, the incoming euro, which hadn't been out at the time, would eventually come up to be a, a massive competitor. And then those in the oil businesses in, in the Middle East and Asia and different places would switch from the dollar, as the petrodollar, to the euro as a replacement. Now, don't think for a second that any of the top bankers have been hit with what's happened recently uh, all of a sudden with a big surprise. And there's no surprises at the top. So we're going through this stage play as a condition of public in a thousand different ways that life is never going to be the same ever again. That's what they told us in 2001 after 9-11. And it's not, you see. Their whole agenda that's been on the, basically shelved and gathering dust for a hundred years is now going to be unfurled, blown off the dust and presented to the public. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. Very simple. So then this, this, this um, Chinese central banker says, with the world's largest currency reserves of $2 trillion, China is the biggest holder of dollar assets. Another amazing thing, too. As far as we know, China is still uh, at this odd combination of communism, this totalitarian one-party system, and capitalism. Now, lots of people today can't even remember a time when things were not made in China, that everything wasn't made in China. Most folk think it's all quite natural. And I remember when they started to flood the markets with all Chinese-made goods, and everybody was moving offshore to China, all the factories, all the Western factories, paid for with our tax money to move, by the way, so they wouldn't lose any profits during that, that period, interim period. And people just floated through their lives as though it was all quite natural, and then the same brand names appeared with a little bit at the bottom that says made in China. 
So here we're supposed to believe that China and communism were the worst threats ever, and they became the holders of all the Western countries' debts. Who's kidding who? Because, believe you me, if the elite didn't want it this way, it would never have happened. If the elite truly believed that the communist system was a threat to them, they would never give their ability of producing all their armaments in their own country away to another country, especially the one that was supposedly their main rival. Never happened. Never happened in a billion years. But this is the farce of the pantomime that we live through. And to go on with this handout here, the BBC, it says, its leaders have often complained about the dollar's volatility. No kidding. China has long been uneasy about relying on the dollar for trade and to store its reserves and recently expressed concerns that Washington's efforts to rescue the U.S. economy could erode the value of the currency. You see, this is, this is, this is child speak for the public, anyone who care to read it, that is. His speech was unusually published in both Chinese and English, signaling it was intended for an international audience. Well, of course it was. This is predictive programming leading up to what's happening. And I remember what I said at the start of the show, nothing happens in massive bureaucracy, even small bureaucracy, quickly. It takes years for them to get anything done. And this leads me on to this. It's a continuation of the last story. And this, this is on uh, Yahoo. It's on Yahoo. It's talks on New World Reserve Currency Legitimate, says the IMF chief. It's amazing how they even say that, because they never ever tell the public what the IMF really is, or the fact that it's a private organization. You see? Or bankers, basically. One of the biggest moneylenders on the planet. The same IMF that bankrupted most of the third world countries over and over for the last 50 years. And then they always get the countries in the West to give them new loans to third world countries, put down the citizens of, those, of, of the countries as the guarantor. So when the third world countries uh, fall apart and their economy goes under, we're left holding the tab, the taxpayer of the West puts the bill. The bankers love this arrangement. Love it. Then they give them another loan, and we're down as guarantor again. Well, it's the IMF that manages that, you see. The same bunch. So it's IMF Manager Director Dominique Strauss-Kahn said Wednesday that talks on a new world reserve currency to replace the dollar, the US dollar, were legitimate and could play, take place in the coming months. It's how fast these guys can move, eh? Wow, aren't you impressed? China had this week called for a replacement of the, the dollar, installed as a reserve currency after World War II, with a different standard run by the International Monetary Fund, exactly what the IMF have always wanted. I think the discussion about a new currency is absolutely legitimate, Strauss-Kahn told journalists after meeting with members of the French Parliament's Finance Commission. They said such discussion could probably take place in the coming months, U.S. Treasury Secretary Timothy Geithner earlier defended the dollar as a key global reserve currency in Washington. I think the dollar remains the world's standard reserve currency. I think that's likely to continue for a long period of time, he said, while he's fooling the public. Is he supposed to fool? See, they all have their, their, their places in this play. They're all actors on a stage, the world stage. So there you go. They get a Pulitzer Prize winner and a president of a country to introduce the idea 
the BBC, or then there's a follow-up to it, and then it's out on Yahoo, uh, and no one really takes much account of it. Because we've been trained, you see, and especially in one generation, that um, we can have everything you, what you want. Credit cards were thrown at people for years and years and years who really had no way to pay it back. And the intention was to spoil them and make them think that there really is a Santa Claus. And now we're going to pay for it all now. And he'll pay for it because the people have never grown up. That was by intention. Psychological warfare. Back with more after these messages. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, discussing how ideas are placed out there for the public, like a paper chase where you follow the first idea and then in comes the follow-up to it that is more concretized in your mind. And then the final, the grand finale, uh, is pretty well announced. This is coming, this new currency. And then we'll have it introduced and it'll all take place just like the euro was introduced quite quietly amongst the public, whether they like it or not, and that's always the way. Because after all, that there is no democracy. There never was a democracy. It was decided long ago, as I say, by those who held power. They would never allow the sort of vague fortunes and misfortunes of letting happenstance democracy take its course. I think it was Sir Rockefeller himself who said that a system, a world system run by bankers, and intelligentsia was far more preferable to the sort of haphazard way of, of nations and nationalism and democracy. And they mean what they say. And they have the power to do it, you see. And we're always surprised when we find that we have no rights after all. We get rather indignant when you personally are caught and arrested. And you find you have no rights. All the safety nets that you thought were out there in your system, are gone. They're not there at all, except on paper. Fear, the last refuge of desperate politicians. Here's someone with a little bit of insight, an author, Alice Miles, journalist. It's from the Times, March 25th today, 2009. The Prime Minister Brown has resurrected the Al-Qaeda bogeyman but at present, the bigger threat is from elsewhere. She says, My train pulled into Waterloo Station yesterday to be greeted by an alarming poster picturing women and children in a market. This is right out of the movie Brazil. It warned a bomb didn't go off here because weeks before, a shopper reported someone studying the CCTV cameras. It wasn't what I needed to worry about on my way to work. This is the, the utter rubbish they're putting out there in propaganda. All the stuff they used in World War II is resurrected and going to hyperdrive. It's part of a new campaign that says, don't rely on others, don't rely on others, urging the public to report suspicious activity that could be related to terrorism from large amounts of empty chemical bottles in a bin to a suspicious van rental or somebody who owns lots of mobile phones. Being scary, dramatic, and backed by the police 
It's a sort of campaign that wins easy headlines and thus acts as a form of subliminal advertising. And I would, I would add indoctrination. That's its real purpose, subliminal indoctrination. So, and you will, you will adapt your way into it. In Brazil, they had the big poster in every scene. It says, we're all in it together under this totalitarian system. We're all in it together. Right? It says, after years of rejecting the agenda of fear stoked up under Tony Blair, Gordon Brown's government as a replacement for Blair, Seems happy to plant fear right back at his heart. Well, of course, because, because Blair pretended he was in opposition to get into power. They play the games, and they all know, probably 20 years ago, uh, the lineup of prime ministers, who takes over from whom, etc. So they'll play this game. Since this weekend, the prime minister used the recent attacks in Northern Ireland to form a totally tenuous link to the al-Qaeda threat on the mainland. Al-Qaeda terrorists remain intent on inflicting mass casualties without warning, including through suicide bombings. As the threats we face are changing rapidly, we can never assume that the established way of doing things will be enough to leave you all on edge. You know, so it's, like a, it's like one of the old radio shows they played, apparently, uh, before, uh, during World War I and during World War II. This from the man who, when he was running a parallel government to Mr. Blair's, refused to use the phrase war on terror and whose allies talked despairingly of Mr. Blair's agenda of fear with his emphasis on crime. That was when Mr. Brown's own agenda of civic duty, tolerance and social mobility and a shared sense of national purpose was supposed to speak of positive values of hope and opportunity instead. It says... No more, no more. Instead, we have warnings about the murderous agents of hate in our midst. Murderous agents of hate. Remember when George Bush first used that? Why do they want to destroy America? Because they hate us, he says. They hate us. I wonder if he's speaking for his own little clique there. I don't know. Who knows? No. This is no alarmist rhetoric there, Mr. Brown. It's a familiar friend alarm to the politician casting around for a sense of purpose stoke up fear among the public and present yourself as their protector. That's called totalitarianism. If people are not afraid enough of the recession, let's terrify them with bogeymen in the Tesco potted plant section as well. And it's not far-fetched, by the way. Tesco, yes. Yes, we learn from the government's new counter-terrorism strategy. Pursue, prevent, protect, prepare. It's all P's, you notice. Must be... Saving that for a long time. First of all, that an attack is likely, highly likely, and could happen at any time without warning. And second, that it's okay because 60,000 hotel workers and supermarket security guards have been trained to respond, which for some reason doesn't make me feel all that much safer. A largely pointless debate has been raging among ministers in recent months as to whether the fight against Al-Qaeda should be a security issue led by the police or a hearts and mind issue fighting the ideology. No kidding. Back with more of this BS after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. I'm Alan Watt for Cutting Through the Matrix. 
reading an article from Times Online by Alice Miles, who makes some good points. And she pretty well says that the government's going to pursue two techniques. One is the war on terror is going to be pushed to the top, and also a war of ideology, of basically indoctrinating the people, kind of like what they're doing in the United States now with the, the million-man army and all that kind of stuff and voluntary, uh, mandatory um, service. Remember, service and to serve comes from the word serf. For anyone who's interested. But she goes on to say here, this seems to have more to do with turf warfare between the communities secretary. Now, community secretaries for communitarianism, a, t- a term first given to the public by Bush Sr. Remember that the Club of Rome, one of their biggest think tanks in their own book, the first global revolution, said they wanted a form of collectivism, meaning the Soviet system, to rule the people. It would be much easier for them. And that's why you have communitarianism, you, you and your community. See? So the community secretary in Britain and the home secretary who deals with terror, etc., uh, it's more to do with the war on terror because the obvious answer is both. They want both ideology and the physical war. And the strategy document confirms that the government intends to pursue both. The question is why now? Why in the depths of a miserable recession in the run-up to a G20 meeting under definite attack from a coalition of homegrown anti-capitalists, environmentalists, and anarchists. I like how she puts that, because, you see, most of these groups are actually funded by the foundations, the big bankers. She says, and the newly unemployed, well, they're on, they're on their own now, basically. Has the government raised the bogeyman of Al-Qaeda so prominently at this time? Even in blossomy West Sussex, surely in the middle of Middle England, we have been leafleted about a G20 march in London this Saturday to put people first. An oppressive coalition of charities, unions and pressure groups wants decent jobs and public services, an end to global poverty and inequality and a green economy. How, they don't say. How, they, how they're going to get it, they don't say. And there's a trick to it all. There's a trick to it all. Why would you go to the abusers who abused you for centuries and have just hit you again in places I don't care to mention recently. Why would you go to them and ask them to solve the problems? Think about it. They love this. It's like the abuser or the abused going back to the abuser for advice and help. It's exactly how it is. To all sadomasochistic, you see. Just other protesters, protesters over the next week have more extreme ends, although they're just as vague about the means. The G20 meltdown campaign, for instance, demands government by the people, ridding ourselves of bankers, politicians, borders, capitalism, as well as Iraq and Afghanistan. Some protesters will block streets and stations, other promise riots. Well, you know who the rioters will be, that they're, they're funded again by the big foundations. And, and they'll be mostly special police or special forces dressed up. This has been caught many times before. Some are said to be planning to occupy city offices, others to march on banks. Never mind Al-Qaeda, this could be the perfect storm of protest. So, there you go. I mean, why would you go to the... See, if things are the way they are, and if politicians have overtaxed you to the extent you can't pay, if politicians gave the go-ahead to license 
shady schemes to give you shady mortgages and you're left out in a tent somewhere, it's because the politicians wanted it that way. That's why you're taxed to the hilt. If politicians want a war on terror to use as a technique to bring in their century of change, where the whole world is to be changed, it's because the politicians wanted it that way. That's why they sign all these bills without reading them, most of them. And they'll tell you that. Everything is the way it is. It's because the politicians belong and are vetted to, before you even hear of them, they belong to the banking boys, the establishment already, you see. Why would you go to them to help you? Nothing will change till we learn that lesson. Nothing, 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 nothing. Won't happen. And here, if you're talking about the, the farce of Tesco shop, you know, malls, these stores where the security guards and the, and the storekeepers are all watching for suspicious behavior. Suspicious behavior. He chose this brand over that brand. Must be something wrong with him. From the Mail Online, this shows you how farcical everything is becoming. And believe you me, in the near future, you're going to see horror when the boys in black with their machine guns are shooting at people in the streets. Alongside stories like this one that I'm about to read, and it's going to be so surrealistic to you, you'll be off in a strange limbo land which will be intentional because that's how the media were represented. Just like when they put the boob babes all down the right-hand side of the most incredible, disgusting stories of horror. That's a technique, again, of desensitization to where nothing is real. And when nothing's real, you let everything happen to you and to those around you. Mail Online, March 25th, 2009. Anglers, fishermen, right, with their fishing rods. Anglers arrested and DNA tested by anti-terror police for using laser pens to scare ducks. This is not a joke. This should be in a comedy sketch with Monty Python. But you know, you, you can't make jokes anymore because we're living in such ludicrous times. And this is the type of thing that you're going to be familiar with very shortly. Just fishing quietly by a lake, Martin Kalos and his middle-aged friends made for an unlikely trio of terrorists. The police, however, begged to differ. To the amusement of the anglers, ten officers swooped and arrested them under anti-terror laws. That's why machine guns and everything, right? They claimed the men were using laser pens to endanger aeroplanes flying overhead. Remember that came out in the U.S. when Bush was in? That they're trying to say that the laser pen can interfere with the flight path or something of aircraft. And it shows you a picture of these guys. So the fishermen explained they were actually using the 20 pounds of 40 bucks pocket devices to ward off ducks, which could get caught up in their lines. And this is the duck season when all the ducks are coming in, you see. And it's quite common in Britain that they're using this. Nonetheless, the officers took them to a police station where they were interrogated by members of the terror squad, just like television, the terror squad. The anglers had their fingerprints taken and were forced to give DNA swabs. One was released without charge after two hours. The other two had to spend ten hours in cells before they were released 
also without being charged. Although no further action will be taken, their fingerprints and DNA remain on a national database. You know, there's over a quarter million children with, with their same on the databases for life, and they were never charged with anything in Britain. It says here, Last night, Mr. Kalos, 57, of Woodley, near Reading, described the police's behavior as pathetic, I'd say. I'd say. I was gobsmacked, he says, when they said they were arresting us and couldn't believe it. He's a builder, this guy. I thought they were having a laugh. The whole thing was ridiculous waste of manpower and time. Mr. Kalos, his close friend, Mick Radomsky, 53, and a third unnamed man, had been fishing for carp at a lake near their homes on the evening of March 6th. They were approached by a local police officer, two community support officers who asked why the fishermen were using the laser pens. Once they had shown the officers their fishing licenses and explained how they used the devices to discourage ducks, they expected to be allowed to continue. However, about an hour later, they were surrounded by seven more police officers who arrested them under the Air Navigation Order of 2005. Mr. Gomsky, a father of three who lives in Woodley, felt humiliated when he had to explain to his wife what had happened. We're all men in our 40s and 50s. We're using the lasers to scare the ducks, the driver said. can't believe the police really could have thought we were terrorists. I'm not a terrorist and I object to having all my DNA details and fingerprints on a police database. They would even get us, give us our pens back. Now, they're very good at stealing things from you, the police, too, by the way. <laughs> they will. They'll confiscate everything and keep it. It's farcical. So the green laser pens have a range of about a mile and are commonly used by anglers. Commonly used by anglers. A spokesman for, for Thames Valley Police said several aircraft pilots have been dazzled by lasers shining up from the ground during the past 12 months. Now, see these teams, these special terrorist, terrorism teams and SWAT teams and all that, they're always practicing. Have you ever watched them when they, they put their arms across, you know, uh, over their, near their shoulder, they put it up in the air. They point these things to the air. Have you seen the laser on those things? They never, don't even enter their heads what they're doing. They're way more potent than these little pen things. They have them in every, every one of their little MP5 machine guns so they can see that they can hit their target, put a little bead on you. But that won't enter their heads, that they're doing this all the time. <laughs> well, it's astonishing, isn't it? Or, or is it? But that... Things are going to get more and more farcical as we go along, I guarantee you. And people will adapt to the farce. That's the scary part. They'll adapt to the farces as they go along. So that's what we're basically faced with, a a creation of suspicion, fear, paranoia, and terror amongst the people. Terror is supposed to make you cow down and... Stop communicating to people. That's what it did in the Soviet Union, where people would go in the streets, all looking very drab and grey, looking at the sidewalk, never looking at each other as they passed each other, in case, in case you were being set up. Because what the Soviets did, and this is going to come everywhere else too, I think it already is, they'd have little sting operations with the citizenry, and they'd send someone out uh, or, or stage something in front of a bunch of people in a street to see if anybody would do as they're supposed to do under their laws and report it. And if you didn't report it, you'd be hauled in for not reporting it. You're all constantly being set up so you couldn't trust anything anymore. That's the techniques that are well and truly understood 
by those at the top. Perfectly well understood. And we've had it. We've had it when we accept all of this. We've totally, completely had it. And it's a pity that all those who, who protest the G20 don't have a common organization with a philosophy of what exactly they want. Half of them will want exactly what the globalists want, the greening of the world and all this stuff. You can't have jobs and all the rest of it, and at the same time, uh, you can't uh, have heat to heat your factory or your place of work, etc. You can't have both. It's ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. And the G20, another bit of propaganda for a beautiful handout this is. This is from this is from the Guardian.co.uk, and it's from 22nd of March 2009. G20 warned unrest will sweep the globe. Now here's here's the build-up to the heroes, by Heather Stewart and Larry Elliott. A wave of social and political unrest could sweep through the world's poorest countries. If the G20 leaders fail to come to their aid, the World Bank <laughs> warns today. As new research says, the credit crunch will cost developing countries $750 billion in lost output and drive millions more into poverty. Beautiful hand out, right? Because the World Bank and the IMF are really the same organization. It's a branch, one's a branch of the other. The World Bank is, again, the conglomerate of the international moneylenders. That's what, that's what it is. Private organization under the United Nations. And then this guy's name here is hard to pronounce. Njozi Okonji Iwila, managing director of the World Bank. Sure, sure, front person is urging G20 leaders to use the London summit in less than a fortnight's time to help protect the developing world against the worst effects of the financial crisis. Have you looked into the mandate of the United Nations, Ms. Awila, since you work for them? And you will see that the Department of Population is population control. And you remember that Mr. when Mr. Kissinger was up there, with the president, he put forward the bill, which went through, claiming that overpopulation was the worst threat to the state. And went right to work on ways to depopulate the third worlds. By all means possible, they published some of it, because they can't publish the rest of us openly. There's little snippets here and there. They were looking at it like a war technique, because overpopulation was being treated like a war situation. So they came out with all the different kinds of sterilization for the third world countries and massive abortion. They call it family planning systems all over the place. Again, going through the front organizations, the big foundations and the NGOs. Now, the World Bank, as I say, is a private organization attached to the United Nations. It's supposed to be part of the United Nations. So here's them, them giving the scare tactics here, claiming that it's going, to, it's going to, oh my God, it's going to hit the third world. They really care about the third world, you know. Since we have to look at the impact of this in low-income countries, otherwise, without wanting to sound alarmist, social unrest and political crisis could be the result. It's in the self-interest of everyone to prevent that, she told the observer. And now she's, she's talking about it's the self-interest of all the taxpaying countries to avoid this. <laughs> That's what she's saying. 
warning came as a new report has coincided with this new report from the Overseas Development Institute, another part of the United Nations. You see? And by the way, every country that signed on to the UN in the Western Hemisphere has a department for overseas development. And the politicians who are fading or semi-retired get bunged in there for the rest of their lives. They get a lot of money from big payoffs for it. So the Overseas Development Institute, which is all part of the same bunch, World Bank, IMF, and so on, United Nations, said the collapse of the global economy would cost 90 million lives. Well, they keep telling us they want to reduce the population of the planet. It's right up their alley, isn't it? So they want to reduce the population of the planet and make a profit at the same time. And so it would lead to an increase of to nearly a billion in the number of people going hungry and cost developing countries $750 billion in lost growth. Well, the way it's gone, it's cost the developing countries billions of dollars uh, that are supposed to go to these third world countries in loans that they can never pay back. We're the guarantors. We pay it through our taxes. Uh, every scam that's out there, you, you couldn't keep up with it from these bankers. You, you just can't do it. And they hide behind all these different names, World Bank, IMF, Overseas Development Institute, etc. ad nauseum. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the Matrix and I think Derek's back up again from Philly. Hey there, Derek. Hello? Hi, can you hear me now? Yes, I hear you now. Yeah. Hey, uh, I was just reading uh, one of the articles about those anglers, the fishermen. It was yeah. actually on Alex Jones' website, and uh, <laughs> it's just one of the funniest things, and it's so prophetic because, mm-hmm. I mean, e- even if you're walking through a city and you look suspicious, a cop will stop you <laughs> and yeah. say, hey, I know. Hey, uh, what, what are you up to, you know? And yeah. people asking you what you're doing. If you have a laser pointer. And those little laser pointers, you know, we used to play with them at school. Yeah. I was thinking about, and I remember kids just shining them in their own eyes, obviously stupidly enough. But, I mean, it didn't really hurt them, you know? Mm-hmm. And they're saying, you shine a laser pointer into the sky. As someone says, it's utterly farcical because when those guys train with their MP5s and all the rest of it, machine guns, for they all have them to their shoulder, across their chest, uh, pointing at the sky. <laughs> you know, the whole bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, those things are, they're, they're designed to look intimidating, those, those guns. It's kind of but, scary. But you see, what's happening is you're going to get more and more ridiculous occurrences happening. There's so many already happened. I know people who phone me uh, who've been, uh, one guy was posting a box of chocolates to his mum. A woman passed uh, the post office as he was going in, in her car, with a cell phone, phoned up security. A SWAT team came in, pinned him against a wall, smashed open the chocolates because she didn't like these. She thought she looked suspicious. It probably was like some guy in a soap opera, the bad guy. So that's all it takes now. And you realize, too, these guys are trigger happy. They could just as easily have shot those guys. You know. I mean, and I was, I was even looking at a picture of them. It was on, I think, some yeah. website, and, and they're just some good old, good old boys, quote-unquote, you know? Well, I'm surprised. I'm surprised they didn't uh, taste them to death uh, because they were holding fishing poles and, and, and a can of worms. 
you know. I mean, that's the, that's what happened to that guy out uh, uh, recently. He was holding a stapler and the taser to get to death in BC and Canada. I mean, a stapler the guy, gun, you know. And not the not a pneumatic, but just one used on on for paper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, there's another guy. He was holding. A, I remember it was a long time ago, but I think it was in New York. They they tased the guy for holding like a meatball here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is you understand. We have statists now uh, who are desensitized because of their training and even their upbringing with video games, they're desensitized. They have been altered. People have been altered biochemically with what they eat, their injections, everything. And we're seeing these, these characters now. They're very dangerous. They're very, they have no sense of humor. And they really do want to act out a real-life cartoon by really killing someone. That's my opinion. Yes, and they, they don't really care about us so much. Hold yeah. on one second. Sorry, one second. Anyway, so I'll get off the phone now. Um... Pumped it up, Jason Burmash show. I've never actually listened to him, but I know he's a good guy, so. Yeah, I'll on it. Check it out. there. Yeah. Yes, yes. Thanks so. for calling. All right, thank you. And just, maybe just get Steve in you there, Steve, Indiana. Pleasure. Hello, and it's always a pleasure. Yes, how are you? Uh, have you seen the uh, Obama deception? Yes. Okay, do you agree with that information? Um, I agree with some of it that definitely was put in by the same people. Because okay. so I, I checked up his history, what he was doing before we'd even heard of him. Right. And his job was basically to funnel money. Supposedly went to poor housing in Chicago, and he, the money wasn't getting there. He was already in with the big financiers. <laughs> okay, I'll call you back soon, Alan. Thanks a lot. Okay, thanks for calling. And that's the music. So from Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you.